Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the lighthouse of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. No, we will not be covering the new Lamp of Murmur. And I'm the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. the Virgin Lamp of Murmur versus the Chad Murmur. <laughs> um, I don't know whether they were referring to the same... Maybe it's in some fantasy book or something, or... Some sort of uh, highbrow cultural reference point that neither of us understands. Um, but uh, yes, they have virtually the same name. Um, there is a uh, relatively little known... I think they got better known in the last uh, five years or something. But um, there, there's a project called Murmur, M-U-R-M-U-U-Umlaut-R-E, from France, that... Uh, which came out a long, long time ago, I think in 2010, and uh, got picked up by sort of like early, early, like literal hipster black metal type people, but um, was, and was touted as like, oh, radical, innovative black metal, but was clearly an industrial record. Uh, and this is a really, really good band. Um, whereas Lamp of Murmur is not. So I say, we check it out. So what do you make of that? Well, that's interesting. I think I heard it, um, or at least bits of it, when it first came out in 2010. Mm -hmm. um, it reminds me of when the very first kind of post-black stuff was starting, but, you know, before that was refined into an idea, it was just kind of a catch-all term for mm -hmm. weird mm -hmm. kind of black metal-y stuff that yeah. has a lot of influences from outside. So it reminds me a little bit of, like, the really early stuff by Kana, 
or something like that. Hmm. Um, who I should probably go back to. I remember that early Kana stuff was actually pretty cool. Um, but it sounds a uh, it, sa- it sounds really contemporary. Like that could come out Doesn't today, it? and we'd cover it. You know. Yeah. Um. It was very out of its time. Um. It and yeah, it got all this black metal buzz, but was uh structurally, it really is written as a uh sort of arty post-industrial thing. And um, unlike a lot of stuff that like flails at you saying, look how arty I am, or like, I'm not like the other black metals, um, this, uh, this has a method to it in the way that a lot of the best kind of um, abstract art does. It was, um, he recorded a bunch, he, there were a bunch of improv recordings of guitar, maybe with drums also, but I think maybe just guitar improvisations that he then cut up. Like, the, the reason it sounds so uh, scrambled and backwards and yet organic and intuitive and flowing is uh, there was original black metal-ish or skullflower-ish guitar improv that then got sort of like glitched to fuck. Yeah, sort of old, like, cut-and-paste tape loop kind of methodology. Yeah. And obviously, like, it's also just like a power guitar answer to Coil. And in fact, I looked, he has a Metal Archives picture now. I guess it's been successful enough. And the picture is uh, him in a fucking Coil shirt, holding a stick, looking looking shamanic in front of a dolman. Or maybe it's a tree, (laughs) but he's making it look like a, he's making it look like a manier for sure. Anyway, you have something you wanted to play. (laughs) yeah sure something actually from this year so uh real quick this came out last month but um i figured it was worth playing on the show so uh a band that we talk about a lot on the show is brodequin um who are a brutal death band from like the late 90s and early 2000s that have a lot to offer uh like black metal and war metal people you know it's definitely not standard for what you might imagine when you hear that genre description. And, uh, well, they've uh, recently reformed with kind of a, a new lineup. And I think they have a full-length record coming soon. But uh, last month they released a, a two-track little promo EP called The Perpetuation of Suffering. So uh, it's just a couple short songs. So we will listen to the first one called Seven Nails.
I know uh, Brodequin uh, back in the day was one of the first kind of brutal death bands that caught your ear as uh, someone who doesn't usually listen to the style. So uh, what do you think of the new stuff? Oh, it's even more accessible to someone who doesn't. Um, yeah, I remember what struck me back in the day was just that it was um, raw sound, not clicky in the way that often afflicted brutal death back in the you know back in the early teens or in the oos uh but um raw not clicky um and the riffing was just simpler just massive heavy palm mute stuff uh very fast um and it spoke to the side of me that just liked marduk and diocletian and stuff right uh and also it had the added thing of being about super brutal shit medieval torture without just having an i don't know like uh sort of gore porn splattered all over the cover which just you know isn't really it's 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 tasteful medieval gore porn (laughs) tasteful medieval gore porn although honestly if you look at some of those like you know dude that one defeated sanity record like if you look at some of that medieval gore porn it's like oh shit Um, oh yeah like chapters oh yeah 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 this one has a guy getting a uh the this uh, Brodekin one has a has a looks like a a bishop having a screw put into his eye. So uh, that's pretty fucking brutal. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So this is sort of the production is cleaned up, and the riffing. Um, we've talked on this show before about how, in a way, the best of thrash metal or the real development of thrash metal into cutting edge extreme metal in some ways, or at least one of the avenues really is into brutal and technical death metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, this sounds even more thrashy than their old stuff. Yeah. I was surprised when I heard this at just how kind of thrash oriented these riffs are. Um, you know, I, and specifically it's like, it, it ties a lot to uh, maybe like Vader. You know, I, I mm-hmm, heard a lot mm-hmm. of Vader in that as well as the Marduk. I mean, just that. That's, that's just, a pure. Yeah. <laughs> zero, uh, zero, ha- you know, zero, uh, like one, zero, three, four, three, zero, you know, like, uh, which like half the best death metal riffs are made of that. Oh, so. sure. You know, yeah. It's all just rearrangement of elemental slayer type stuff. Right. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. But yeah, it really does, and also just the the root the the use of pedal point technique from thrash, where you're sweeping from the root to the octave in a setting that's blast beat based, right? Yeah, is a very very Marduk thing. Vader, uh, also from that era, Behemoth and Christian, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, Christian definitely. Which, I can see Christian. We could also class as a brutal death band, right? In a sense, yeah. I mean, because it really was just playing kind of Morbid Angel songs way too fast and tuned way too low, you know? If you're interested in hearing more about Christian and Vader, we have a bonus episode where we talk about both of them. Um, well, speaking of bonus episodes, what a oh, wonderful yeah? segue, Black Metal Guy. <laughs> Housekeeping, up top, as usual. Uh, social media, me on Facebook, at Terminus Podcast, and the Black Metal Guy on Instagram, at Terminus Extreme Metal. And then if you want to hear about stuff like Vader or Christian, uh, you could uh, support us on Patreon or Subscribestar for access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes for only $3 a month. 
so that gets you access to all of the cataloged uh, bonus episodes uh, where we usually concentrate on you know older records that are part of kind of our personal canon of classics we do some obvious stuff and some less obvious stuff but we focus a lot on history there uh, our last episode that uh, does a deep dive into some of our favorite stuff from the Canadian war metal scene, and it's not the bands that are immediately coming to mind, uh, just came out a couple weeks ago. So uh, something to look forward to there. And then if you go for $5 and up, you get access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server, where we can talk about uh, just about any topic. Uh, usually I have a bit here, but uh, this is our second time trying to record this episode. So <laughs> we're, <laughs> Wait, we're just gonna... are, we, um, are we also adding voting privileges for the $10 and up people? Yes, we are. Thank you for reminding me. If, yeah, $10 if, and If you up. attain the Patreon rank of uh, Proletarian Death Row, you can vote on, uh, you know, which bands we cover for the bonus episodes. Yes, that is true. We have uh, just started instituting that, uh, even though we promised that we were doing that for like a year. Now we're actually doing it. So... <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, big episode today. Lots of records I love. Lots of records that you really like, apart from one, and it'll be the obvious one. But whatever. <laughs> but uh, you've got. We'll be uh, surprised first... by that in 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 their own way. That'll be a surprise. Uh, <laughs> or in its own way, that'll be a surprise. Uh, um, so, uh, first half of the episode's yours. What have we got? Well, we start off with ascetic by a band from Australia called Norse. Uh, this is out on Transcending Obscurity, the prolific and, uh, you know, generous death metal label. A bunch of their stuff is always pay what you want. Um, uh, you know, big big on Bandcamp. Um, uh, Norse caught my ear a few years back when they released a very weird record that was uh, something like Bl hyper blasting black metal wired through the most modern elements of beatdown, breakdown, uh, gent music in a way. Uh, so obviously something that spans all sides of the terminus aesthetic and that we need to check out. Next up is uh, Hegemonicon with a K, of course by Solitudo with a V, of course. Um, <laughs> Solitudo. Um, um, that's the, you know, makes it more Roman. Uh, out on uh, Eternitas Tenebrarum Motherfucker, or whatever ATMF stands for. Um, <laughs> but ATMF, the Italian label. Uh, and um, this is uh, sort of noble Italian solar metal in the tradition of Spite Extreme Wing, Obviously, we are covering this. Of course. <laughs> the, eventually, people get tired of us talking about spite, but uh, we won't stop even then. Um, no, they will surrender. Absolutely, to the might of Rome. Um, yes. So, second half of the episode, very different mood <laughs> starts occurring. Uh, so, opening the first half of the episode is a band that I featured on a news segment maybe two or three months ago. Uh, and that is the debut record by 357 Homicide, titled Executed On Sight. 
available now on Vile Tapes Records. Uh, this is a two-man slam band from Manchester, England, uh, and uh, they <laughs> they work with a resolute purity of vision and execution that will be very fun <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> and then uh, wrapping up today's episode, <laughs> just uh, it it sucks. I hate it. Um, well, I love it. So, I know it's completely yeah, self-indulgent. Um, I'm not going to convert anyone on this, but I just really wanted to yeah. convert it. Um, yeah. And then wrapping up today's episode is going to be out of absolutely nowhere with basically no promotion or fanfare. The first new full-length record in 14 years by Lymphatic Phlegm, titled... Roughly excised, putrefindings, morbid descriptions, and necronoses out on Black Hole Productions. Uh, Lymphatic Phlegm is one of the weirdest and most unique gore grind bands that really there's ever been. Uh, they are now a quarter century old this year since the release of their first demo. And uh, while I'm sure a lot of our regular listener base are inclined to click away before they get to the gore grind record, stick around it's, it's very different it has a lot to offer it's really good all right and we are leading off with ascetic by norse out on transcending obscurity records uh or productions or whatever it is uh so um norse is a australian black metal band i think that yeah. uh started as no as in i think it's black metal that started <laughs> as sort of a relatively technical hyper blasting black metal and very quickly started gravitating toward the more uh industrial end of the spectrum and trying to find looking for versions of industrial that were not just uh you know as we've talked about lately, that were different from the 90s and early 2000s version of just uh, putting mechanized blast beats under black metal or putting ministry dance beats in black metal. Yeah. Uh, and the way they did that was unexpected. They went towards the sort of clanging, inorganic, kind of beefy, sub-bass heavy sound in like... Uh, gent and beat down and down tempo maybe ultimately coming from Meshuga, right a bunch of bands that a bunch of things we think people in extreme metal should be talking about but they generally aren't yeah well i mean it's like uh Meshuggah is one of those cases of an outstanding band with terrible consequences in a lot of cases <laughs> and, and bad yeah. vocals I like the vocals, but, you know, yeah. Yeah, to each their own. But, you know, it, I guess for us, it's like, you know, we like beat down. We like down tempo. I think we both agree that, for the most part, Gent is a complete loss. Um, gent is, yes, the Gent is a terrible genre that served only as R&D. Um, yeah, yeah, so you can take elements from it, some of the rhythmic ideas and some of the yeah. kind of tonal ideas, and you can apply them to much more interesting music. Yeah, I think the band that really proved that is Sectioned. Uh, you know, um, the sort of uh, gr crust, the sort of industrial crust grind band from the UK that has uh, this sort of like bent sub bass heavy gent type stuff going on in it. Uh, 
and it just is manifestly really cool and heavy, right? They found mm-hmm. something to do with that technique. Uh, um, we heard some of it also. I mean, another band drawing from this well is Serpent Column. Not so much the Gent, but definitely the Meshuga, and definitely sort of like, uh, you know, uh, stuff like Dillinger Escape Plan, stuff like Sectioned, all very relevant to that being incorporated mm-hmm. into black metal. Uh and uh, yeah, so a sort of uh, heretical movement that's being explored more and more. Uh, and you know, of course, the other piece of the puzzle here is you know a band like Serpent Columns also very was also very interested in like DSO and Ulcerate type stuff. And those also appear to be reference points for Norse, but there really isn't much here that sounds like DSO chording or melody, is there? No, I think the I think the DSO and the Ulcerate bears out, but it's more in how these songs are structured mm-hmm. rather than specific uh, specific rhythmic or melodic phrasing. Um, honestly, m- the thing. Oh, go ahead. More in the general idea of a hyper uh, hyper modern kind of black metal or something. You know uh, that, and you know, in in the very kind of linear, wandering song structures mm-hmm, that tend mm-hmm. not to concentrate too heavily on any one motif, they're more exploratory. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing we've covered on the show that this immediately reminds me of the most is uh, Humanity's Last Breath, uh, who yes. we covered a few months ago, who are a very unusual. Um, widely influenced sort of a band that's really like a down-tempo band at its core but it's laced with all these electronic and industrial and black metal ideas throughout so it's never monotonous there's always interesting ideas going on something very similar happens with this norse record i think yeah like uh humanity's last breath is coming from down-tempo going toward black metal in a way this is coming from black metal going toward down tempo both of them are Mm -hmm. converging on this idea of a new kind of industrial extreme metal yeah i it'd be it'd be interesting to talk to some of the guys playing stuff like this and seeing like whether they read it in that way whether it scans Mm -hmm. to them as whether the industrial thing is more of an accident or if it's a a prime motivator for this kind of music, I guess. Yeah, well, definitely the kind of, um, uh, you know, text, the emphasis on texture and repetition and, uh, you know, sort of singular sound object type things and these kind of cut up song structures are for sure very industrial in a structural sense, right? That, uh, is maybe deeper than just throwing a throwing a black metal beat or throwing an industrial beat under your black metal stuff. But yeah, it's um, yeah, what whatever the intent, this is uh, pretty interesting stuff. Uh, um, yeah, let's uh, let's check out the beginning of the record.
So that was really riffy. Did you hear any black metal riffs? Um, well, what the fuck is a black metal riff these days? <laughs> Apparently, nowadays it seems to entail just about fucking everything. Uh, yeah. I would say the stuff towards the end, like that, where, where they start feathering in that little arpeggiated figure. That dun, 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 dun. Because something I... I forgot to mention up front is I think one of the, one of the biggest influences for this is going to be Blood Os Nord. Um, mm -hmm. So from that mid era, like work, work which transforms mm -hmm. God era, um, mm -hmm. you'll hear those kinds of figures on those records from around that time period. But obviously, Blood Os Nord has always been on the fringe of black metal, so I guess it's kind of a ear of the beholder thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well. um... Yeah, and these are those those last riffs were really cool. But you get this sort of like rolling, rolling chug riff with these sort of uh, I don't know, um, yeah, rapid rapid slide arpeggios, sort of like is that like a sweep kind of the? Uh, yeah, it's like a, as opposed to like a full up and down sweep. It's like a, mm -hmm. a, a straight like descending sweep. Yeah, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they're, those are kind of formatted like thrash riffs, but played with this kind of, uh, you know, in cubist abstraction, right? Uh, mm. And um, they're sort of like very industrial sounding. Uh, and the riff at the beginning is just hilarious in a great way because it just, I mean, that's just a uh, taboo shatterer, right? I mean, that's like... <laughs> Um, in terms of the sort of stigma against, I mean, we've always railed on this show against, you know, no mosh, no core, no whatever, mm -hmm. uh, like pointing out that like mayhem and emperor in their prime both had mosh parts. Yeah. Uh, and were extremely fun. Um, at least if you like having actual fun, um, <laughs> uh, but, um, but uh, the uh, this is but the stig so like you know moshy stuff and physical stuff has always come in and out of black metal in various places, uh, mm -hmm. but chugs have certainly been outside of black thrash have certainly been stigmatized, and the idea of starting your record by just slamming the open low the low open string dong mm -hmm. dong dong da 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 dum dum, I mean. Can you imagine how angry, like, Metal Archives or would have been about that, like, 15 years ago? <laughs> yeah, but it's like, at the same time, it's like, it's not even that unprecedented, if you really think about it. I mean, obviously, the, the production and the, the tone and the timbre of this music is mm -hmm. really alien to black metal, but... I mean, Bathory had a lot of, like, really simple, just bashing figures like that. I mean, maybe it wasn't necessarily an open string, but yeah, they would just sit on a single power cord for an oddly long time, you know? Oh, no. It was, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, obviously, like, we think this is cool. I mean, oh, yeah, I just, yeah. uh, and yes, it is consistent with many things in black metal. I mean, the idea that black metal should be sort of droning and should involve primal physicality is very important to me, right? So this fits right in. But the specific syncopation, we all know, is the uh, whole band jumping up and down Deathcore riff. 
Yeah. Well, and that's that's one of the things that's interesting to me is because this record scans to me, and it's really kind of a Rorschach test thing, but this really scans to me more as a, a kind of abstract down-tempo record than it does as a black metal record. I mean, but you can really, depending on the frame of reference you're using, what, what sort of literary interpretation, mm. you know, <laughs> from a mm. Marxist mm. lens, this looks like a down-tempo record, you know? <laughs> from a Marx? <laughs> well, now I'm trying to figure out what the Marxist the Marxist reading of this would be. It's, uh... <laughs> um, I'll come. I'll c- come back to me. I'm working on it. Um, okay. The uh... well, while you're working on that, let me let me play a sample. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, this is going to be off the third track, uh, "Fearless Filth Seeker." Um, this is from the middle of the song, and here you're going to. I think this is a pretty good representative sample of the kind of stuff you're going to hear regularly throughout the record. Um, so it's going to open with a very blood Nord kind of dissonant phrase. And the dissonance thing, we'll get back to that because that's, that's one of our little bugbears we constantly like to harp on. Um, and then it drifts into a very kind of electronic brushed down tempo part, similar to a band that I really like called Immemoria Brooded. And then there's a really cool ending moment of just a really simple arpeggiated guitar figure with this kind of gliding like uh, continuous bass melody underneath it and uh, I think this just shows off some of the best stuff this band is capable of stuff going on in that passage but that final passage just that that wonderful gliding bass melody uh 
mm-hmm. underneath everything, and the really cool staggering of the uh, four four versus six eight on the guitars versus the drums, respectively, mm-hmm. creates this this really cool rhythmic interplay. It's like a very simplified version of the kind of stuff that uh, Meshuga does. Uh, you know, arranging these odd time sections over and over again so they eventually sync up to 4-4. Four, four. Um, so what do you mean I'm about not... the 4-4 four, four versus the 6-8? Do you mean like the way the guitar is doing sort of like a... Yeah, if you... Is that like the 4-4? Four, four? Yeah, the, the guitar is doing... Uh, it, it sounds... It, it's kind of like a, a trick of the ear thing, so it sounds like the guitar is doing like a kind of a triplet pattern. But it's actually just doing kind of four four eighth note arrangements. No, I can hear that. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm not sure if the drums are in a true six eight or if they're just in like a really dramatic kind of swing time against Mm. the four four. But you get the effect of like these shifting rhythmic textures kind of flowing against each other and then syncing up at the end Mm -hmm. of passages. That's cool. yeah, it's just it's like a, a a pretty simple polyrhythmic technique. Well, I say simple; it's very difficult to do, especially if you're playing it live. Um, but like mathematically, it's relatively simple for this kind of thing. Um, Speak for yourself. I listen to black metal. <laughs> I was a tech death kid. All right, <laughs> I can't use any of it because I can't play guitar I, that I, well. But I can't count higher. The only numbers I can count are four, eight, and sixteen. Um, <laughs> Those are the only ones you need, buddy. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess, uh, how would you read that last figure? Um, because, uh, like, uh, you know, spoiler, we were attempting to record the show last night and uh, ran into numerous technical issues, so we had to push it a day. Um, yes, uh, and we were th- talking... Thor, Thor, Odin, uh, uh, the Saints, and the Angels all decided to smite our episode. Yeah, maybe like uh, if we had gotten done, you know, I would have walked outside and gotten killed by an alligator or something. You know, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but we were talking a little bit last night about how that scans, and we were talking, you know, kind of in the abstract about this idea of kind of goth coming back into extreme metal. I associated this a little bit with like Killing Joke in a way. Um, and I think you associate with some goth rock stuff, uh, all of which, I mean, maybe it's just on our brains lately because we're finding a lot of it, but what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's, I think whenever I hear that kind of, um, certain kind of ringing arpeggio stuff over doing textural, guitar doing textural work over free moving bass, I think that is basically the goth technique. Uh, where you transfer the core melodic, the core riff idea to the bass, um, and playing with uh, rhythm in a way that's very unfamiliar in black and more straight-ahead death metal. Uh, certainly mm-hmm. more open kinds of rhythm than you'd find in almost any death metal normally yeah. uh, in goth, like more just groove. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, no, I mean, I think that's a very gothy thing for sure. Killing joke in the tone, yeah. I mean, I was thinking about that, like, Killing Joke always sounded more scronky and weird than that. Those are actually very pretty sort of, you know, like minor minor scale chord changes, right? Yeah, this is um, probably just like cure stuff that I haven't heard or something. Well, you know? <laughs> it's, you know, it's just filtered through. It is a goth technique, but it's filtered through the ear of metal. It's filtered through there being, tw- you know, 30 years of screamo type stuff influenced by this. 
Uh, mm-hmm. It's um, yeah. But Killing Joke would be one. Uh, yeah, Cure maybe. I mean, the the band that I th- I mean, I think. I mean, I can't, it's just been on the brain so much, I might as well bring it into the episode. I've been going back and listening to all the old Ackercock records, uh, mm-hmm. and who's one of those bands that I think is not mentioned nearly enough, uh, and anticipated a lot of the stuff that got credited to uh, DSO. Um, I can see DS, that. Yeah. DSO was clearly listening to Killing Joke. Um, Ackercock were clearly, like, they're just straight... the the atmospheric guitar textures they do that would later get attributed to DSO in black metal mm-hmm. and Akrokog are literally clearly coming from two bands, Killing Joke and Sonic Youth. Uh, since mm-hmm. they've reunited, there are a picture, one of their biggest promo pictures just has him wearing a Sonic Youth shirt right, right up front. Um, mm-hmm. Sonic Youth has, first of all, were part of the trend of Americans making, long trend of Americans taking European music or British and European music and making it less weird. But uh, Sonic Youth were hugely influenced by Killing Joke and uh, made some more kind of pretty delicate sounding stuff with it in places. So the particular melodies you hear here, you'd be more likely to get in Sonic Youth, I'd say. Um, okay. And uh, but um, Ak- either way, Akrokaka was really into those and like Fields of the Nephilim and shit. And uh, they take you know they they take the Killing Joke stuff or the Sonic Youth stuff and they pull it closer to the sort of like noble uh noble dorian scale melodies you get in metal that are already in fields of the nephilim and this record is drawing this band seems to be drawing on that sort of complex of like metal fied goth does that make sense yeah i can see Mm -hmm. that and uh, kind of as an adjunct to that before it escapes me brief diversion to say all the reviews of this people on Bandcamp, etc are talking about this being really dissonant this is oh yeah yeah this is yeah, this is, this not is the a moment. Very dissonant record. Like this is I mean there are dissonant moments but for the most part there's a lot of consonant melodies on this. I I think at this point I think we've probably talked about this on the show. I think most people literally don't know what that word means and <laughs> just like apply it to stuff with like certain textures or certain timbres. I mean the whole idea of dissonance itself is a very subjective kind of term of art more than it refers to things formally. Um, But I think what a lot of people are getting caught up on here is that I'm almost certain this band is using an eight string guitar. And I Mm -hmm. think that if you, uh, because an eight string guitar basically gives you another octave to play around Mm -hmm. with in terms of the range on the whole instrument. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of people just aren't used to hearing some of these ideas harmonized as dramatically as they are. I think if you so are they, press, they letting higher strings ring, or is it more like the melodies are leaping in ways that they wouldn't be able to do on a normal guitar? I think that they're leaping more. I think that mm-hmm. I mean you've got you've got different harmonization opportunities, some that are much higher or much lower than people are used to hearing in this style of music. Mm-hmm. The eight string itself has a very unique kind of timbre to it Mm -hmm. you know halfway between a bass and a regular guitar in a way um so i think that if you compressed some of these riffs some of these melodies down into a single octave like you might hear them on a six string guitar they would immediately be much more readable to the average listener Mm -hmm. but that's just that's just like a pet peeve of mine as an eight string player (laughs) no i think that's right i mean i think they're also i mean uh 
you know, their um, listening to guitar tone. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that yeah. this has a tone that does not sound like... Um, the fact that this is a highly digital processed tone that's being manipulated intentionally, right? The point is that this isn't sterile, lame digital production. This is like a cool Very medium. Carefully sculpted. Yeah. Cool medium specific use of what you can do with computers, right? This has a harsh digital tone, right? Or if it's not, maybe the band would say, oh, this isn't line in. Okay, maybe they're using like a solid state amp or something. I don't know anything about gear. Um, but, um, but like, it's a uh, is solid state the word for it? Um, solid state just refers to yeah uh, amps that don't use vacuum tubes. But yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they they have the, it has this deliberately more uh, mechanical or industrial tone to the guitars, and people hear that and they hear the reverb and the clanging and they think dissonant. Uh, to the degree that there's, and it's just because they're hearing tonal similarities to DSO and Ulcerate, both of whom really do play dissonant things, as in massive clusters of like tritones and half steps and uh, um, things that don't fit together in normal scales at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. This is the kind of dissonance that's here is much more traditional to black metal and heavy metal in general which is just like i mean black sabbath dumb dumb <laughs> you know yeah. or <laughs> the other one uh the other one dumb dumb there there are your two most important dissonant intervals in metal which are also the two most important intervals in metal yeah um uh so like yeah so it's definitely not especially dissonant um but it is industrial um and it is weird sounding um, uh, let's go to, uh, a place with some, uh, this is another place, yeah, go to, let's go to some more, um, here's some cool scronky stuff, but not particularly dissonant, but scronky. This is from Accelerated Subversion toward the end. And then, oh, you'll also hear a moment where it gets markedly less scronky. And if you listen for the place where it sounds like shift from more more dissonant stuff to more sort of consonant, regular sort of minor scale type stuff, you'll hear it at the end.
So the main riff they're doing there is like wom dom 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 da dum. Um, that's just one, four, like minor third. But what they do that makes it sound dissonant is that they just do one of those scronky cluster chords on the third. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that does that sound right? Yeah, it's just kind of like a like a maybe like a converge thing. It's just like a nasty yeah. kind of like high bar chord or just like mm-hmm. a weird little cluster figure on the bottom of the guitar. Yeah. And so they do use those in places, but that's fairly standard issue at this point. Um, mm-hmm. You know, similarly, they, they, there was another place where they were doing that cluster earlier on the more palmuty riff, and I think they were just clustering on the tritone. So just, like, doing a metal dissonant thing and using a cluster chord. Yeah, uh, and typically when they do those kind of nasty clustered things, the root note is usually always contiguous with the melody. It's just kind of like... Exactly. flesh on top. Exactly. So so that's where I was going, is that they do this... The blast part is awesome, right? I love the sort of the way they... Because they're taking this more industrial framework to it, they're not wedded to ideas of what a metal riff has to be. So they do this, like... They've got the blast going, and then they do uh, this sort of cycling, pulsed, single-note riff just that works with a bend. Just womb, 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 womb under it right they introduced that um and uh when that cuts out um and and when that's playing right it sounds like a super dissonant riff over that when that cuts out stops slows down and then the big bass riff enters right the top melody doesn't change at all and yet it meshes perfectly with the bass riff which is just classic epic minor scale metal riff you know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's these guys have a a talent for kind of rejiggering traditional kind of metal melodic phrases into these weird contexts just by playing with rhythm and playing with tempo and timbre. Like, uh, there's there's a way to play all the music on this record that sounds a lot more mainline extreme metal. You know, it's it's all the yeah, detail yeah. work, the production work, and kind of the uh, the. It, it, I I almost wonder if like when they started writing this record, it sounded a lot more straightforward, and then they kind of went in with a fine tooth comb or like, what can we stretch out? You know, kind of going section by section, what can we do to make this a little more unique, a little bit weirder? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the fun, their last record was, uh, if anything, like, I like this better. I think it's a step up from Divine Light of a New Sun. Uh, Gene Wolfe reference, potentially. Uh, which was, um, which, like, sounded maybe, a, on the one hand, I think it was more blasty and conventionally metallic, but it sounded almost too much like the sort of, uh, more core-ish influences to the point where it was just like sort of, you know, harsh vocals and, you know, high speed and very skillful. There were really cool, unusual hooks in it, like sort of like off-time rolling double bass things, but they worked melodically, like, uh, or, and in terms of the guitar tone, a lot like just kind of like gent songs. Like it mm-hmm. was like, it was too much like well-done mainstream metal. This is both, I mean... We can debate whether it's black metal, but it's definitely closer to the black metal spirit. Um, yeah, and it's I also closer 
it's also closer to the most interesting sides of that sort of avant-core stuff, which is the truly uh, inhuman-sounding stuff. Yeah, definitely. I, I see where you're coming from. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not familiar with the last one, but I think that these guys are walking this really delicate tightrope when it comes mm-hmm. to their influences, you know? Because, like, if you mm-hmm. go too far in either direction, mm-hmm. the influence from one or the other can seem very gestural, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, right now, there's kind of a, a fashionable thing going on in the deathcore scene, which is to do blackened deathcore, they call it. That's been going on for cool. ten years. Yeah, but it's really picked up speed in the past <laughs> it's, few. It's, it's worse now. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, it's worse now. It's like a, a lot of the kids that I talk to at local shows are talking about, oh, like, have you heard the new Lorna Shore? It's like, oh, there's a ton of black metal. And, of course, none of it sounds like black metal. It's The names are exactly the same. <laughs> the names are exactly it's, the same. It's like they've forgotten the cautionary tale of Abigail Williams. Oh, I like that first EP, though. But anyway. <laughs> 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 no. Well, that well that was just you know people figuring out oh black metal can have like sick cool breakdowns and then we got Winterfelleth and then it was all mm-hmm. uphill from there but mm-hmm. um, no it's and what they're talking about is it's mostly like Zoomers rediscovering like old school like Melodeath meets metalcore shit that was so popular when we were growing up but they yeah. weren't around for it but now with kind of this like blackened veneer over it um, but Oof, what I'm saying that sounds is, really terrible. It, it, it's not unlistenable, it's just very boring for the most mm. part. Uh, we've just heard it all before. But what I'm getting at with that comparison is that, you know, when you're you're taking these elements that are basically... I mean, we can think of these, like, spiritual commonalities and we can, you know, engage in this sort of, you know, metal critic sophistry, but they're basically from opposite ends of a spectrum. Um, mm. And when you're putting them together you have this very delicate line to walk about maybe not letting one be too prominent over the other, not using either one in a a mono-dimensional way. Um, Mm -hmm. And it makes it tricky to execute, but I think these guys really stick the landing, and I'm impressed Mm -hmm. by that. Um, But jumping off that, so I really like this record, but I do have questions about this style in Mm -hmm. general. Um... So I'll go to my last sample off of Zero Insight. That's towards the back end of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll talk about, you know, I like this record a lot, and we've been hearing more and more stuff like this, but where does it go from here?
I'm almost positive I've talked about this idea before on another record we've covered this year, but a lot of this record concentrates on the parts where the, the quote-unquote nothing happens, so to speak. Uh, this is a record really focused on connective tissue. Um, a lot of these kind of like softer, more wandering passages uh, between the bigger, more riff-oriented stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a technique we're starting to hear more and more of, and I think these guys execute it particularly well because they're emphasizing the sort of sound object nature of these individual passages, which is one of the things that brings to mind, you know, industrial and neo-folk and that sort mm -hmm. of thing as a major influence here. <clears throat> My question is not so much about this record, but maybe the next one, and really the future of this style in general, is we've been hearing more and more stuff like this and a lot of stuff in the sort of like orthodox meets cavern core niche mm -hmm. that's getting really popular now. And both of these ideas have a lot to do with each other in the way that mm -hmm. they're kind of assembling songs. And I guess my question is, we've heard a lot of good records in those styles this year, but I can say there's a vocabulary getting established and getting set in stone a little bit quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and there's definitely no, certain things. That's a way to things. put it, yeah. Yeah, there's certain things that are happening like certain little ideas and structural conceits and stuff that are popping up on these records that i'm not as excited about now as i was even six months ago like um on the first sample i played they did something that's become very common to both of these styles which is the sort of slow looping droning arpeggio with slow drums that slip into a blast beat without any sort of fill or any sort of uh yeah, yeah, announcement. Yeah. And it's like, I think yeah. I've heard that on every one of those records. We've heard this here. And it's like Oh it, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is like what happened to original Orthodox Black Metal, where the first time someone did a halftime drop to a spooky six eight arpeggio, it probably sounded like the first time Watane did that, it probably sounded really sinister. And then like it became a parody of itself. Oh, here it comes! Spoopy arpeggio time! <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I guess that's the question that I just want to bring up. Is like I think these guys have found a way around it because they're concentrated on this very sort of industrial structuring. But for a lot of these bands, I think even next year, yeah, you know, which is yeah. really only a few months away, I'm going to be a lot more critical about stuff like that. It's like, okay, 2021... Yeah, so one... <laughs> 2021, get all of your fat glides into blast beats and mm -hmm. your, like, arcing bass tones over black metal arpeggio stuff out of the way because you, you, we're going to have to find new shit for 2022. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear what you mean. I mean, another way to put it would be, like, it sounds like they're relying... A lot of bands relying a lot on these kind of uh, ambient droning passages to stitch together riff ideas. Right. Yes. Um, yes. And this band can get away with it more than some of the others we've talked about because, uh, well, all of them have shown some skill with the ambient stuff that metal bands did not have with that sort of thing five or ten years ago. Right. So that that's one yeah. reason we have more time for it this year. Uh, but um, this band in particular, right, because it's part of a more general structure in principle, kind of like the Murmura, we a lamp, uh, the not the lamp, the regular, real, <laughs> the true Murmura. We talked about the beginning of the show. Like, they're structuring their music like industrial. They can get away with it more. However, um, 
yeah, these passages don't, you know, like, am I going to remember the well-executed ambient passages on this record? Probably not, right? Yeah. So what do you think the answer is developing a, a more concrete kind of melodic vocabulary or riffing style? I, I mean, uh, I think there's like, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think, I think we, uh, yeah, more concrete. Well, th this band's moved away from riffing per se, right? Um, probably find a way to riff, but using the techniques of the ambient stuff. Hey, it's Kari from Sepulchre Curse. And I'm Yaku. You're listening to Terminus. And we are back from the clanging but not dissonant sounds of Norse with the uh, fiercely consonant sounds of Solitudo on Hegemonicon uh, out on ATMF, the Italian label whose acronym I can't remember, but it has something to do with eternity and shadows. For the record, it's Eternitas Tenebrarum Musicae Fundamentum. Fundamental music of eternal shadow, something like that. Eh, it's, you know. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty metal. I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, indeed. And it's a yeah, it's a solid label. Um, and this is uh, so Solitudo is in some way like a just core band for this label. I believe this label also did Nova. Um, and these and this is a Italian band continuing the black metal sound founded by Spite Extreme Wing and some lesser known bands who were part of their black circle called the Invita Armada, that is Invincible Armada. Um, the, uh, like, uh, Giannis. Um, we've covered, um, at least one other band in this, in this school, on this show, right? Uh, we did Laetitia and Holocaust. Is there, um, was there anything else in that vein we've done? I don't think a lot of stuff that brings it to mind, but not stuff yeah. specifically from that scene. Yes, and we we found that Spite was one of those bands that was uh, over a decade ahead of its time, and yet none of the things that you would think are influenced by it are. Um, <laughs> it's, it's it's the most frustrating part of this show. Yes, <laughs> like yes, and our... and just like a peek behind the scenes, we'll always you know we pretty much always send our. Uh, our reviews to the bands, you know, just so they can mm -hmm. check it out. And every goddamn time we send something in that sounds like it's very influenced by Spite, they will always respond back with, hey, really like the review, really like the detail. Uh, wasn't really familiar with Spite, but listening to them now, yeah, they're pretty cool. <laughs> it's like every single time. Yep. It's ridiculous. Yep. <laughs> it's the one yes. thing we're always wrong about. <laughs> yes. Um... Yeah, so Solitudo, however, understands what an important band that was uh, and has sort of been on a quest to extend that sound uh, or develop it uh, for quite a while. This is a one-man project. Um, so uh, the first one was Immerso in un Bosco de Querque. That means something like, I don't know, uh, immersed in a grove of oak in uh, 2014. I had not heard that one. Uh, I just went back and checked it out. Um, it is atmospheric black metal. So the the path this guy has gone down is one that is now common, which is be young, record an album of atmospheric black metal, 
decide that atmospheric black metal sucks and move forward. <laughs> um, and since then, he's done. I mean, I, I've, I haven't listened to that one enough to know whether it's a decent take on that style or not. It's probably better than average, but um, he's explored other pastures since then. So I followed this band since um, Hierarchus. Uh, and, and basically what happened was after that is with uh, Hierarchus and Militia, he did two very short full lengths, each of which you could hear him trying out a way to channel or develop the basic sort of, um, uh, the basic mood of Spite Extreme Wing, which we've described as sort of like solar, virile, modernistic, clearly defined structures, uh, into different modes, right? Spider Extreme is very guitar-oriented, riff-driven music, right? So, uh, on very power chord, sort of grinding power chord attack black metal at its core, at least for most of it. Um, but Hierarchus was like, had that kind of vibe. It was very focused on just ancient Rome. Uh, but it was recorded in almost this, like, summoning or dungeon synthy way, uh, with, but with blast beats, and sort of uh, blast beats and densely layered orchestral keys. So it basically sounded like Marshall Industrial in motion. Like uh, I think we you you thought of a band that's that I also thought of. Uh, oh, Triarii. Yeah, yeah. It's basically like a tri Triarii record with a little less. Um, Triarii is a little bit deliberately campy. This was a little more serious. Uh, but um. Very similar vibe. Um, Arditi also, although Arditi is a lot more abstract. Um, mm -hmm. That kind of mood. Um, and, you know, it could verge a little too far on the Age of Empires soundtrack part. Not that that's a great soundtrack, don't get me wrong. But um, mm -hmm. but it was, it was pretty cool. It just explored this one simple mood, sort of stern, resolute Roman music. Uh and um, it did that very well for its short duration. Militia gets closer to the Spite Extreme Wing type thing, as in it's very guitar-driven, very active and riffy, uh, sort of, you know, manly bellowing vocals, uh, and very clear-cut melodies. But the voicing is really different. Uh, so the guitar technique, instead of being based on these sort of like elemental chord shapes, becomes all leads and played on the low end of the guitar in this really death metal way. Mm -hmm. um, really cool idea. Uh, they're playing these sort of like flowery, flamboyant. We've talked about sort of like flamboyant masculinity in a lot of the Southern European bands. You know, how do you yeah. be, you know, uh, how do you be sort of uh, over the top and colorful, but also manly? And so this this is a very good version of that. Uh, but something for me about that, those songs are really cool at first, but they, uh, you know, for me at least, they seemed there was something a little missing to them. Like they were, you know, I say this on the show about things, but they were a little too smooth, not quite enough bite. Um, and this record seems, now that we've heard this one, Hegemonicon, it's easy to understand what was going on there, which was those were R&D focusing on single ideas that have now been incorporated into this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is your first time with this band. What do you make of it? Oh, this is an instant best of the year for me. Like, uh, this is absolutely on my end of the year list. Uh, I am horrified by the idea that you've been listening to this guy for five years and you've just never felt like showing it to me. It feels like a personal betrayal, honestly. It was on my <laughs> list of things I needed to get around to. Yeah, no, uh, this is 
This is phenomenal. Um, like you were saying, this is an extension of the kind of melodic principles of Spite Extreme Wing, but executed in a radically different way, which we'll be able to tell pretty immediately when we get to the samples. Um, Spite Extreme Wing is concentrated on huge flourishes. Uh, it's, it's concentrated on um, maximalist space-filling guitar tone and really intensely exciting dynamic high-speed riffing. Where Solitudo, at least on this record, it's very, it's very, it's very hardcore driven. Punk, yeah, it's very hardcore uh, and punk driven. Um, Solitudo, on the other hand, is much more stately, um, mm -hmm, structurally. Mm -hmm. uh, Spite Extreme Wing songs always kind of resemble punk songs structurally in a way. Mm -hmm, Solitudo, mm -hmm. they resemble like neo folk or, like you said, martial industrial songs. Um, mm -hmm. You know. Each uh, each track, you know, this is a short record. It's under half an hour, but each of the four main tracks on this is this single, like, immutable block of a single idea yes. progressing forward. Mm -hmm. um, and it is Spite Extreme Wing is just always furiously in motion, right? I mean, on the records yes. I like better, it sounds more like light a series of lightning bolts being thrown. On the record you like better, Ultra. It's more like this seamlessly flowing kind of lute-played folk melody or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah. Like somebody playing Motorhead on a lute. Um, yeah, and, uh, <laughs> which is the ultimate, the, the apex of heavy metal, right? That's what we're trying to get to yeah. on the show. <laughs> exactly, really. Ex pretty much, yeah. Um, but um, on this record, it, it sounds like architecture. There was a yes. lot of... There was a lot of vertical leaping in Spite Extreme Wing, but again, in a very different way. Here, this has the vertical quality of like, uh, you know, like watching a Doric temple move toward you, which would be a very yeah, intimidating it's, prospect. It's also just like, uh, you know, it's also like similar to something like Ultra. I mean, look at the art, you know, it's this very like early 20th century modernist. I mean, it's a more modern take on that sort of aesthetic, you know, and it's yeah, like Ita it, it, it's Italian really, futurism. Yeah, this is this is in totally Italian futurism, which is an aesthetic that I really enjoy a whole lot. And uh, a lot of the bands in Invita Armada uh, explored that kind of idea. Spite got really into it in their later records. And this is continuing it, but in a very different way. And I think that one thing you touched on. Uh, that I think is a significant influence because I thought of it too was summoning. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, the way these songs are executed, uh, just yeah, moment to moment. You're the summoning expert here, so you'll have to explain. <laughs> I, I was to, just like, oh, uh, summoning. To a degree, um, you know, I, I don't listen to summoning a ton, but I've listened to all the records at least once at this point. Um, Summoning, moment to moment, this sounds extremely different from summoning, but the structural conceit of a single idea progressing inexorably toward its own conclusion is mm -hmm. a very summoning idea. Like, summoning do cool albums, but their albums really are just collections of individual songs. The, the narrative mm -hmm. is within the single song. And here, it kind of branches across all of these tracks, yeah. But ultimately, all of these songs are different refrains on the same core idea, like just pounded into the listener 
but never getting boring. Um, this is just, I, I could talk about this forever, but I want to play a sample just because I want to fucking listen to this more. So, um, Hegemonicon 1. Uh, we're just going to go with that. Yeah. That is the first kind of uh, real track on the record after the intro. And uh, here's where we'll see the first big distinction from Spidex Dreamwing, which is instead of being a guitar-based band, this is fundamentally at its core a synth and uh, kind of a... Uh, well, really a trumpet-based band, as well. Yes. Like I was saying up front, and I, I'm sure you agree, while there are outstanding riffs across this record, which definitely at points equal Spite Extreme Wing, the fundamental... The, the initial, yeah. uh, just while I remember and while people remember it before we read Reg, the initial riff on this sample... You know, that's, that's like a simplified Spite Extreme Wing riff. Oh yeah, no. They, they yeah, clearly, yeah. they're they're specifically designed to mm-hmm. sound like those riffs. Yeah, 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 he's he's yeah. been studying it, mm-hmm. but clearly, the fundamental melodic core of these songs, in a in a very traditional kind of classical sense, is the uh, the trumpets, which are across all of these tracks and are the the fundamental texture of this music, and they're fucking outstanding. 
Yeah. I mean, I think this is... Um, yeah, I was going to talk about this with my sample, but I think we should talk about it now. It's, I think something's happening this year, man. Um, there's been some sort of technological change that suddenly makes old, like, makes a thing that was like the depth of corniness, which is digitally synthesized orchestra effects, Mm -hmm. suddenly viable in a way that I think nobody saw coming. Especially, Uh, especially brass instruments. Yes. Like... It, yeah, so, like, this year has been the year... Yeah, I mean, of course, there's the... I mean, obviously, I fucking love Emperor, and I love the idea of, the, you know, the there's a rawness to the Casio, the digital Casio string synth. That's awesome, and you can do cool things with that, especially if you're keeping it in that sort of punky format where it's fighting against, you know, like, chainsaw guitars, right? But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, a- thereafter, right, uh, digital synths sort of... um. Uh, hit the bong and depart for the uh, the great fluffy palace of the skies. Um, yeah. Right? Where, um, uh, you know, and usually just sound like shit. Um, but uh, there's something going on where suddenly the patches are way better and they're just being used in smarter ways. And yeah, the horn. So the other record we've heard this year that does this is Hour of Ragnarok by Graveland. Yeah, that also uh, had excellent, excellent synth melodies. And it focused on the horns in a way that, like, and, like, oboe synths in a way that was, like, unprecedented. Um, You know, he used synths in a pretty chill way before, but it was the old-school emperor way, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, And so, like, yeah, the the riffs on Hour of Ragnarok are all transferred to, like, synthesized horns. And the same thing is happening here. There are other synths, right? There are a lot of strings... uh, there were some horns, and there were a lot of strings in general on Hierarchus. Here, mm. there are still densely layered string synths, and then just the horns soaring over it. And, uh, you know, there's something... Uh, what I love so much about the the, the sort of, like, trumpet melodies on mm-hmm. this record, it, it's that they're so kind of stark and minimal, in a sense. Like, there's... I mean, they're not even really harmonized a lot of the time. They're these single, unwavering tones. Just, like, taking up so much space in the production. It's such a it's such a daring move to make, to put so much on these very simple ideas. It requires so much faith in your own ability to write them. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it lands every single time. Every single time it happens, it's the best time. You know? <laughs> well, that's one way it taps types into the idea of, uh, you know, sort of uh, um, clear sort of uh, clear geometric form in cubism mm-hmm. or in this kind of, or in, you know, futurism or this kind of... Uh, you know the clean line, the the sort of the jack, the violent angle, the um, uh, the the crisply defined contour or movement, right? And mm-hmm. uh, the way that taps into the legacy of like ancient classical architecture or whatever. It's uh, unlike a lot of modern black metal. It is not relying on texture blurring effects, which are so often used to hide an absence of ideas, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's, there's tons of layering and texture here. Basic, simple, basic idea, which is noble Dorian scale harmony, but mm-hmm. all sorts of layering happening within that to make that sort of uh, tense and powerful. And then 
over that, just these, you know, crisp horn melodies. Yeah, and it's like, I will hang everything on this. And yeah, it works. I agree. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of unbelievable. It's, this is one of those one of those records I hear where it's like, every time I think we can't expand on these ideas any further, you find a guy who just has this, like, fucking unwavering vision for how this yeah. stuff should sound. And it's just... Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of my review here is just going to be me gushing about how fucking cool this is. <laughs> yeah, well, let's move on then to, uh, we'll continue the gush. Um, you, you know, um, uh, we'll continue the, um, we'll continue the uh, clearly directed masculine flow uh, to um, <laughs> Vita Est Proelium 1. Uh, and so this is... Uh, a good example of how you take the sort of uh, whatever you want to call them, epic, triumphant, whatever, uh, we, we on the show call them noble melodies that are popular now. At their best, they're noble. Uh, and, like, make them sound just grim and scowling and stern in the way that the oldest black metal is. So uh, here we go. you go into that sample listening very closely either this is literally one of the best synth patches i've ever heard 
or there's a substantial chance this is a real trumpet being played. I mean, let me consult the promo. Uh, I was just that that... checking that myself. It didn't say, but there was if they like... if he used a real trumpet and they don't mention that in the promo, that is, uh, as they say, baller. Um, yeah, cause that, because that because that's certain... usually exactly the kind of thing that gets applied for novelty. Well, because there's there's like in that in that elongated mm-hmm. solo trumpet passage, there's mm-hmm. these like wavering tones between notes that sound exactly like it's being played on a real instrument. Yeah. So either yeah, yeah, yeah. synthesized yeah, natural instruments vibrato. Have, yeah, either they've become so sophisticated that they're basically indistinguishable from the real thing, or he's just playing a goddamn trumpet, you know, or getting someone else to. Um, yeah, possibly. Uh, either way, you know. So two things, right? Uh, you know. So first, um, just well, the uh, the keyboard patch there at the end. The you know the the choirs also. I don't think those were on uh, hierarchus. Uh, you know, the, the sort of um, uh, very you know sort of a lot of the sinister bite at the beginning of that sample is coming from the choirs, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. That is very Emperor. Um, this is this and the Graveland record and a number of other things. Uh, early Emperor is getting its revenge, despite the best slash worst efforts of Thin Sunglasses Emperor to tarnish their reputation. <laughs> uh, um, you know, the the cool the cool pre Nightside songs are finally getting their due in some ways. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, but with that also, you know, a band that you like a lot, like. Were Seer Bliss ahead of their time? I mean, Seer Bliss were absolutely ahead of their time, but I don't know how many people... Well, Wilkins agrees. <laughs> Wilkins always agrees with everything I say. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, my, he's the uh, the third Mike on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to uh, jump on top of the fridge and bite a loaf of bread real quick. That's <laughs> uh, like, I keep telling him, you can't even digest that. What are you doing? But anyway... Um, but yeah, no, I get it. It's it's definitely, and it, it's interesting because kind of the passages that you chose versus the ones that I chose both reflect like our different favorite parts of Spike Extremely. You know, you you chose a lot of things with that little bit of darker bite, like non ducor duco kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I chose a lot of stuff that's straight ultra, just like mm-hmm. blasting, fiery you know, huge blocks of single glorious chords and stuff. So it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Dum, 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 Right? So th- there is a very easy way to write those intervals in a way that makes them not sound as uh, um, as stern as they sound here. But uh, he, mm-hmm. he does it. Uh, and... Um, one uh, another thing to point out here is which I mentioned at the beginning, but is the rumbling bass. Uh, yeah. If the basic two elements of this band are the big stacked keyboard melodies over blast beats on the one hand from Hierarchies, and then sort of like riffy dynamic kind of lead type guitar riffing from Alicia, he's done something really ballsy, which is instead of the cla- the expected thing, which is oh yeah, more of the big guitar riffy stuff. He's made that purely accessory to the keys, and he's transferred some of the melodic work to the bass. Um, yeah. 
And the bass has that bulldozer sound that we're starting to hear more in like uh, non-second, non-first wave black metal, right? Uh, mm-hmm. um, the bass has that, you know, we got it in Eisenskur, we got it in uh, Hate Spirit on the last episode. There have been a couple other bands we've reviewed where like there's straight ahead pagan black metal or whatever with like Discharge or Venom bass. Um and he's doing that here, and the bass is doing riffy, not like super free stuff, but at the end, when you get those big chord mesh- motions, the bass is riffing in a around the main riff. Uh, and it adds a lot of the uh, bite and tension that, uh, you know, was sort of less present on Militia here. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it, there's, this is a record that will reveal more and more with multiple mm-hmm. listens uh, because at first glance much of this sounds the same and it's supposed to but then the more you dive in and the more you start being able to peel away the layers of the uh, the, the synths versus mm-hmm. the riffs underneath and then the, the contrasting bass melodies as well you'll start to find more and more you know, to seize on to. So what what appears to be very simple, straightforward music at first is actually extremely complex. Um, so let's go to uh, Vita Est Prolium 2. Um, and uh, I should say these are very difficult songs to sample because they're, they're linear sequences of ideas. You really have to take them as a whole. Um, but here is a passage where you can hear the Spite Extreme Wing a little bit more distinctly in the riffing. But ultimately, as always, that is subservient to the the ultimate uh, the ultimate like meta idea at the heart of this record. This uh, this uh, you know eternal recurrence, we might say, <laughs> of uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, of of like glory and triumph just going forever, you know, into mm-hmm. the future. Um, so uh, yeah, this is a cool part. Vive tu 
so yeah, it's the 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 ebb and flow of these songs is it, it's very very neoclassical in a way. Um, you know these. Uh, I mean, in a sense, it's it's very heavy metal in that it's this very discrete series of peaks and valleys. But the way it organically slips between these adjustments on this core melodic motif is very very classical to me. Um, it's it's so sophisticated, you know. It's 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 one of those records that's just so like light years beyond its contemporaries. In terms you get, of structuring, you get to the place around um, was it two nineteen or something where you think mm-hmm. that it's normally the song there the epic climactic part finishes and you drop back into a verse riff like maybe you'd go back into the flourishes of guitar uh, instead it takes off right this is um yeah. now that that's an effect that's sometimes used in pop songs right the uh, classic one of living on a prayer it's like oh this chorus <laughs> is sick whoa that's the chorus right but um yeah yeah <laughs> but this is occurring totally outside of a verse chorus structure it just uh the song changes and suddenly it's lifted by the you know the uh this song puts forward more both the guitar and the bass at the beginning and then gradually the uh key orchestration takes over until at that point it's like the um the guitar and the bass recede and suddenly the keys hang on a higher note there's a key change and it just takes off yeah, well, and it, what's interesting is that mm-hmm. the guitars and the bass recede in terms of prominence, but they never stop keeping up with the energy and uh, changing. Like, mm-hmm. there's more wonderful bass work across that no. entire passage. Yeah. No, there's just passage of melody between, um, just passage of lead melody between parts. Um, that's a thing. Like, there's clearly, I mean, obviously, the record's called fucking Hegemonicon. Um, it has a bunch of lightning <laughs> bolts and Apollo firing a bow, right? There's obviously <laughs> ideas of, you know, power and hierarchy in play here. Uh, yeah. And um, you can hear that idea manifest in the music uh, where there are, um, you know, like, vertic- it's extremely conscious of how vertical it is right morbid angel makes very vertical architectural music with just a guitar line right but here it's mm-hmm. like often the keys are the uppermost part in a black metal arrangement and are often less important than everything else yeah. um even in most parts of the old emperor here the idea is keys are the upper stratum there are guitars and there is bass and within the keys there is an arrangement too right there's like trumpets right horns over the strings uh and yet this isn't some sort of thing where everything is at the service of the keys the keys aren't just sort of like dominating the arrangement uh it's not like the other parts aren't fleshed out um a keyword from the promo that i thought was good was tension right like Mm -hmm. inner and external tension and conflict uh and these are sort of tensile forces every part has its own capacity and they sort of push and they strive against each other. Sometimes they come to the foreground, sometimes they recede. Uh, the really daring thing about this is, if anything, the guitars are less important than the bass and the keys. Uh, yeah, in a lot of parts, I uh, agree. But 
it's so cool because he's got a great command of the guitar and he can write great riffs. And in this song, more than anything, the guitar gets its place. You know, it comes out in the middle. Uh, and those are the sort of cascading, folky riffs you got on sort of uh, lute-type riffs from Militia. Um, but, uh, yeah, you get this sort of... Um, these various independent powers held in tension and uh, sort of trading off. Yeah. It's... Uh, so, um, you know, uh, here's Hegemonicon 2. Uh, I think we've, at this point, um, had all the big ideas. Um, but uh, we'll just lead with this. Uh, here's one way to start a song. too far past the end of the sample oh it's okay <laughs> i did <too>. yeah. <laughs> it's incredible it's a it's an incredible album it's just jesus christ like it's you know it's there's been a few times this year where i've just been so taken aback by a record it's like oh this guy just he he gets it in a way that that very few other people do and just the the complete mastery and the confidence with which he executes it is borderline unparalleled. Well, it's um the uh, the thing, the nerdy thing I want to say here is like this is a um, a specific way of doing a slow black metal song that doesn't lose momentum or become sort of atmospheric or ambient. Mm -hmm. It gets this kind of um. It keeps its forward motion in part through these big looping up and down cycles. Uh, you know, like, uh, so you get the guitar clanging on the octave and the bass sweeping up or after it. Um, uh, a lot is transferred to the bass here, which sort of like carries things forward under the chords. Um, 
it's kind of, you know it moves more like neurosis than a black metal song in a lot of ways but um i think there's there's a specific spite extreme wing song that i think is a pattern for this which is uh disparazione um yeah I where, know that's one uh, of your favorites yeah yeah big it's a big well it's a big big slow one at the end of non duke or duco before they just start doing all this ambient shit um which mm-hmm. is also awesome but um uh <laughs> But, you know, it depends on these, like, long, drawn-out melodies, bends. It's very expressive, slow playing. Uh, and, um, you know, it's good to know that the whole... There's there's stylistic range here, right? The record is not all... Uh, it's not all based on the fast stuff, and um, the slow songs aren't tossed off. Um, you know, yeah, I mean... Uh, it took a few years, but we finally got our uh, Italian one road to Asa Bay.
right, ladies and gentlemen, but as always, mostly just gentlemen. We are back with my side of the show and uh, all those like epic and like uh, experimental and exciting black metal feelings are gone because here we are with 357 <laughs> homicides executed on site. Um, this is perhaps in the over a year since we started the show one of the most self-indulgent things I've ever brought on because I know that most of our listener base won't be able to stand this and uh, I doubt I'm going to convert anyone to loving slam by reviewing this record but god damn it I'm going to do my best so uh, 357 Homicide as I said at the uh, front of the show is a uh, two man slam band from Manchester uh, these are two of the guys from, uh, I think, kind of like a slamming beatdown band called Capital Punishment. Uh, just, like, doing their own thing as a side project. I uh, first got introduced to these guys uh, earlier this year when uh, they did uh, a, a single called Civilian Incursion. And I just fell in love immediately, and I was like, well, God damn it! as soon as that record comes out, I'm going to cover it. So here we are. Um... 357 Homicide plays a style of uh, pretty raw, uh, primitive slam, uh, clearly from the Cephalotripsy school. Um, other influences that seem pretty clear to me are going to be like artery eruption, digested flesh, vulvectomy, maybe some older, more obscure stuff like inhuman dissiluency. Um, but what I find so compelling about this record is that the uh, the mood created by the music is it's less concerned with just being traditionally heavy although it is that as much as sort of anxious and uh, you know sort of contorted sounding there's this claustrophobic rhythmic interplay between the uh, guitars vocals and drums which I find really fascinating. You know, the the result that you get is, it's clearly slam, but the feeling is a little bit more like uh, maybe late 90s, early 2000s, brutal death from the Midwest, like United Guttural type stuff. Bands like Incestuous or uh, Flesh Grind. Um, but they just go about it in an extremely different way. Uh, there's all these constantly contrasting and morphing rhythmic layers that... Uh, make these songs pretty exciting and I think a lot deeper than they may appear at first blush. So, Black Metal Guy, tell me why you hate this. <laughs> yeah, you know, first for our listeners, is the point that a 357 is just a very high caliber round? I was just looking this up. It's a very big one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, alright. A big boy. Alright, so, Homicide with a Very Big Gun. Um... And uh, why do I hate this? Well, you know, you know I've been, um, you and our listeners know that the, the whole kind of year and a half tenure of Terminus has been, has been like uh, me being open-minded about brutal death metal and uh, even some slam from time to time, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I've been trying to figure out what you hear in it, trying to see to what degree I can get into it, finding some bands, finding, you know... Uh, I think our, our, our best um, best one for me is still Induced. That's something I've actually listened to independently. And then a number of other mm -hmm. acts that I quite enjoy when I'm listening to them. And some other stuff that's, like, interesting. Uh, and some stuff, yeah, sure, I don't like it so much, but there's some good riffs, whatever, right? Uh, yeah. 
I, you know, like, this is the first thing in this style that you've played for me where uh, I neither can relate to it as fun or as art. Uh, you have found <laughs> my slam toleration threshold. You have pushed to and beyond the limits of my empathy. Uh, I cannot imagine what it is like to be the kind of person who likes these sounds. Um, I actively <laughs> dislike it, and I cannot see how it is good. Um, uh, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> I, I love your honesty there. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot. This is clearly meant for connoisseurs. I get that there are people like yourself out there who get it. Allow me to say, I do not. Um, <laughs> that's, that's I do fine. not, and I do not approve. Um, I, I did not <laughs> expect you to like this in any way. You know, I, yeah. I, I felt it's, a little bit guilty when I put it on the spreadsheet. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is just mean to the black metal guy. But <laughs> You know, we, we all we all have those records. Uh, I have those too. Um, so, uh, man, yeah, why don't I like it? Uh, I guess I'll get into it with the samples. But, uh, you know, there are bands that are have a lot of slams to where the slams are either something that I can occasionally there are kinds of slams I actively like um, often there are bands where I can understand how the slams work as punctuation marks between parts I like more even mm -hmm. if you know especially with the brutal death bands where the slams usually are kind of a trading off with other kinds of riffs um, this is just everything I dislike about slams um <laughs> Uh, 10 things I hate about slams. Uh, so just take it away, I get Death it. Metal Guy. I get it. So yeah. what I'm starting to realize is like, so the, the kind of slamming elements in otherwise sort of abstract, brutal death you can get into. But as far as like pure slam stuff that I brought onto the show, I mean, really the only other thing that comes to mind that's as pure as this would be the embryectomy record from last Who's year. Who's that flamethrower ectisis? Flamethrower Dices, yes, which I know you weren't a big fan of. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I quite, I really didn't like that one, but I like it a lot better than this. Like, <laughs> that had some hardcore-ish aspects to it in places, or at least it also kind of tried to be, it was kind of funny at times. Um, <laughs> this is, um, it had those like wubba wubba bass drop things. Um mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't like it. That's I also didn't like that one. You have played me Cephalotripsy, and I do. I have some appreciation for it there. I'm like, okay, this is doing a very horrible thing with severe intensity and dedication, and I get that. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so, so basically, the way I read this, yes, it is a record for connoisseurs of this style. You're completely correct about this. Um, to understand the wow this might be like my eisenskur moment you know mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. so so understanding what distinguishes this from any number of other slam records just requires a ton of like <laughs> really like uh, just like unappreciated background knowledge but i'll try to explain it a little bit <clears throat> so as I, I guess here's how I'll treat this review. I will treat this almost like a, a listening guide for uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. how I perceive this music, the things that I want to draw attention to, and then maybe when we come out the other side, you won't like it. I know that's not going to happen, but maybe you'll get where I'm coming from a little bit. 
All right, um, step one, so what, get really, really high. <laughs> that that usually helps for this Step style, two, but... step two, be naked. <laughs> Fully nude, covered in blood, <laughs> always. Um, so let me just go to my first sample. So we're going to go to a track called Mangled in the Snow. Um, and here you're going to hear something a little bit different in the intro in terms of how a slam song usually starts. You're going to have this very rickety kind of... Uh, a claustrophobic, nervic, nervous halftime passage that opens it up, that dissolves very smoothly into the latticework of slams, R.I.P. Syncline from Rate Your Music. Um, I think that something that's very important to this band is the the two-man setup, the very immediate interplay, uh, and the way that all of these songs seem to be crafted through jam sessions in the practice space rather than written separately. So let's just let's just go like the first half of this track and I'll I'll try to clarify a little bit more. He said that her face was gashed in all directions and that her nose and cheeks and eyebrows and ears had been partly removed. Obviously, the opening is very distinctive. Uh, you know, this uh, the sort of almost breakbeat configuration with this like noise guitar effect, and it, it goes on for a while, and then it goes into the riff version of that breakbeat passage, which is this very simple like three chord gestural cut time riff, and then the transition into the first slam is very strange. It's this uh, very organic tempo drop that just slips in in a very unusual kind of rhythmic configuration. From there, you're doing a few kind of motivic variations on that slam um, that are all based around the same basic melodic gesture, this sort of climbing uh, devourment circa butcher the weak uh, climbing chromatic figure. 
but they keep adjusting it on the fly. There's like three different variations that aren't changing just melodically, but rhythmically as well. But they're not distinct riffs in the way that you would normally hear from a death metal band. There's something much more gradual, much more kind of creeping and organic happening, um, which is something that uh, really goes across all of these songs. The way these songs develop is a lot less blocky, a lot less mechanical than a lot of slam bands. And I think that's one of the things I'm really seizing onto here is this sort of like practice space ebb and flow energy between the two members, which results in songs that are, in a sense, very traditional slam songs, but executed with a, with a, a different kind of paranoid energy. Does any of that make sense? Well, I guess I'm in principle in favor of music becoming more practice room and more sort of a group dynamic uh, and more based on actually playing in the same room. So I, I'm, I'm for that. Okay. Hmm. Uh, I can hear the subtle variations, you know, jump, 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 jump. Okay, there's like a few different chords in there. Um, uh, I like the initial... The initial riff is one of the parts on the record that I get more. That sort of... Uh, I mean, that's almost like a Roots, Bloody Roots kind of moment. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, it's kind of a Sepultura, 90s Sepultura kind of thing. Um, I, I can get into that. Uh, that's got some, got some propulsion. Uh, and there are beatdown records that'll start out with that and then like spill into a beatdown in a cool way. There's a band called Vamachara that uses that kind of thing really well. Uh, oh, Vamachara. Uh, the band oh. whose name I always try to remember that you showed me 10 years ago or something. <laughs> it wasn't 10 years ago, but it's a great band, yeah. Um, uh, but, um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, just the slams. The slams, my friend. They leave me I cold. I mean, uh, Be you beyond know, that, even even simpler and more straightforward, I bet a lot of it has to do with the vocals. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. Um, do I appreciate that they're doing these vocals absolutely to the hilt? Yes. Do I appreciate that they're honest about it? Absolutely. So the credits are Jake Gamble, drums and vocals, gutturals, and then Matt Davies, programming, guitar, vocals, parentheses, crocs, frogs, and crickets. <laughs> right? um, so uh, they're very honest about how these sound. Um, the vocals are definitely, like, past horrifying, right? I get that the initial <laughs> sort of pig squeal thing or inhale was supposed to sound like, you know, I don't know, like squeal, piggy, squeal kind of, you know... Um, D deliverance kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, or, or like, depraved, uh, you know, depraved, mindless serial killer kind of stuff. I understand that. Um, mm -hmm. This is definitely sort of mannered in a way where, like, they're just playing around with the form, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, uh, these are, these these are vocals, established they're, they're, ideas now. They're not I get that they're not supposed to sound funny, but they're not supposed to sound heavy, right? No, they, I think they're they're mostly to sound alien, and they're to yeah, yeah, provide yeah. different textures at different moments. You know. Mm -hmm. Okay, like so here we go. So like a lot of it's uh, like timbral variation, 
You know, it's like, if you, if you stuck with just the guttural stuff, that would become repetitious, because most of these styles of slam vocals, you can't get a lot of range in terms of pitch or tonality. Mm-hmm. So, in st- mm-hmm. where in, like, a death or black metal band, you would kind of move the pitch up or down or kind of change the tonality a little bit. Here, you're kind of restricted to a very binary sound, so you have to, like, change the technique completely to get variation. All right, so uh, let's um, let's talk more about it. So, severe latrogenesis. The beginning of this sample for about the first little over the first minute um, has one of the parts I like better on this record. It's a little similar to the 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 faster riff at the beginning of the sample you just pulled, uh, mm-hmm. and um, the vocals are also a little more. They're still there, but they're a little more sparing. Uh, let's let's start from there. Continue your amusement at my expense. Um, uh, <laughs> no, the, I mean, no, it's it, it's just funny because it's like it's it's an example of something you don't like, but I find so much to like about it. It's just funny the difference in perspective, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing about the vote. So at the beginning, right? Um, there are a couple of solid riffs. Like at the beginning of that song, the sort of uh, the more choppy thing was cool. Uh, the vocal, the guttural patterns over the slow, the first slam, I could also dig. I understand there's basically like, they're very ignorant, but there's a direct line from something like Shattered Realm kind of stuff to that, right? Hip-hop influenced, slowed down, mm-hmm. shouted vocals. You could imagine someone yelling that or whatever, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I get that. Um Second slam, the faster slam starts up. And, you know, honestly, the jugga-jugga-dung, jugga-jugga-dung, right? Direct line from yeah. For Who the Bell Tolls to that. I get that one, too, you know? I don't mm-hmm. love it, but you can hear it as this 
cool metallic sound of being slow but having too much happening in the sonic space for the allotted space and so it sounds heavy there's sort of compression mm -hmm. um i get that rhythmic idea uh and then the vocals start coming in and they start coming in on this sort of like clipped exaggerated swing and by the end of the sample like i try um you know it's like um and uh i'm puzzled by this because it's like hmm. i mean it's like from exaggerating certain like taking the syncopation and a hardcore breakdown or a slam and pushing it so far that they're like swinging it Mm -hmm. uh, and they're swinging it in the exaggerated way that we'd associate, like, with musical theater. Um, or with, like, uh, like big band jazz, like, at its corniest. <laughs> like, or with, like, like melodies, like, zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, my, oh, my, what a wonderful day. <laughs> um, uh, it, it, sounds, it sounds breezy, and, like, I, I get that these are just, maybe that's not what they're going for at all, but that's certainly what, everyone associates those melodies with i i cannot feel i don't get how that's supposed to be heavy unless the idea is that they're going for again it's some sort of irony thing like it's supposed to be really sick like oh it sounds so breezy and childish and so it's like i don't know a guy in a clown mask killing someone is that the idea you know i it's interesting because you basically nailed stuff that I would say. I just come at it from a positive direction. Um, mm -hmm. Like, I love the exaggerated swing there, which is mm -hmm. not something you hear that often in Slam, and I really like the idea of it. Um, because that's a, it's a super intense, like you said, big band swing. Um, which kind of leans into that very organic quality that I like mm -hmm. so much about this. And yeah, I do think that the idea of that against the really chromatic riffs and the really exaggerated vocal performance is something akin to, like when we talk about Cryptopsy perverts these like major key melodies with all the mm -hmm. surrounding context to make it something kind of sickening. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, uh, I mean, that being said, this is also supposed to be music you get stoned to. And just, like, chill out, too. Um, so that's that's definitely part of it. I mean, part of it is that it's party music. Um, so, you know, maybe that's one of the fundamental things. Is maybe... I, actually, I think that is... A, it's like, the parties you go to don't have people playing slam. Whereas I'm at parties regularly where, where people are playing slam on the stereo, you know? So it's a, a it's sort of a, a cultural difference in a way. I, yeah, I mean, it definitely has to do with, like, like weed, too, right? Like, uh, yeah, smoking a lot of weed things. really helps. <laughs> I mean, I definitely have played, like, beatdown at parties, right? Or, like, doom death. I played Temple of Void at a party, right? But, like, <laughs> this is, um, I mean, obviously pretty late at night. But, um, uh... The, um, yeah, slam. So, like, when that happens, are you doing the thing, the slam dance, where you're, like, in the gym shorts and you hop around like a goblin from one foot to the other? No, it's more like I, I'm really stoned on the couch and I just, like, lift my arm up and just, like, wave it down, like, House of Pain style to the rhythm. 
<laughs> that's that's more. And are you just kind of like l- laughing maniacally? Oh yeah, no, you're you're supposed mm-hmm. to laugh. You're 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 supposed to laugh at sinister glee, at like mm-hmm. how simultaneously goofy and how gross it sounds. That's that's part of the pleasure of this music, I think. Okay, well, uh, you know, I, I, I see. I hear all slam as being like that. So this carries it to such an extent that it just no longer computes to me. I'm like, but it does sound like a nursery rhyme. Um, and as direct evidence for that, I mean, that's also a tendency you get in certain kinds of hip-hop-influenced music now, right? It's just around, right? Yeah. But, um, but like, Jugular Constrictor uh, featuring Kirill Zarubin from Traumatomy. Um, Traumatomy, great I band. Just, I'm just going to be, I, I'm going to go for the uh, mega autism and be like, see, doesn't this sound exactly the way I'm saying? Uh, this is a short sample. Sure. Okay, I transcribed the last vocal pattern. It is get you get you go get you go get you go go. Um, yeah, it's, it's like great. Cartman. <laughs> it's like Cartman singing a lullaby to a baby, <laughs> like Cartman yeah. tickling a baby. Um, uh, I, I totally get I, what you're l- saying. Yeah, because you'd actually you'd you'd reference this uh, when we did our bonus episode where we talked about uh, devourments molesting the decapitated about how they're almost like nursery rhyme rhythms, um, and yeah, no, you're correct. And then if you want to like tie that, but into, I liked that album. Yeah, which is interesting because it seems like a lot of the things you don't like. Did about I say this, nursery rhyme rhythms about that one? Yeah, you did. Was yeah, it the rhythms or something about the lyrics? The vocal patterns, specifically mm-hmm. the rhythmic vocal patterns, um, which I get. and to But to tie it to the more probable influence, I think the point of convergence is more like, I mean, it's not what it's intended to be, but what it sounds like is very old school hip hop, um, like original dance hall stuff. We're talking about like DJ Jazzy Jeff, uh, Sugar Hill Gang type oh, stuff. Oh, I, I, yeah, um, there's some like... Some, like, Eric B. and Rakim stuff that's kind of like that. Yeah, it's like, like it's more funk than hip-hop proper. But I think they're usually getting the ideas from hip-hop. Hmm. Well, it, it plays better in that stuff. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of that stuff either, but it makes more sense there to me. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, there's, I also this, there's also this thing there back of, like, showmanship, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like a hippity-hip and a hippity-hop and a wee-bop-ba-doop-bop-bee-bop-bop, right? Um... And mm-hmm. here it's like, I don't know, man. Okay, so I guess the point is, I just, I get what's going on, and I don't, <laughs> I see what you kids are up to, and I don't like it. <laughs> get off my lawn. We Get we, off we, my lawn! We listen to Hellhammer in this house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Get off my lawn. 
Okay, so uh, I'm gonna get to my last sample. Uh, I, I, I've kind of like made my case. The the handful of people who listen to our show who are like weird deep cut slam fans will probably have already bought this. Like I know a few of them in the Discord already. Um, we're gonna go to impure gangrene embalming, and I think that something we could probably agree on is that we haven't really talked about it yet. It's that the drum performance on this record is fantastic. Um, this guy has a really unique, very musical style of drumming. Again, extremely similar to his name, unfortunately escapes my memory, but the drummer from Digested Flesh, who also used a lot of very distinctly kind of funk-based syncopation. But this guy's tying it together with uh, Cephalotripsy's kind of propensity for these super tight, really, like, uh, claustrophobic-feeling uh, snare fills. Uh, if you listen closely to the drum tracks, there's tons of fascinating stuff going on across this whole record. And uh, this section off this track, I think, is going to show that off a lot. a good example of honestly the thing that i like the most across this record which is just the the layers of rhythmic interplay because here um vocally you can hear it's a little less sing-songy it's a little bit more like full-fledged hip-hop rhythm you know it's not just a loop yeah. of a single yeah yeah usually the vocals double the like oppressively double the guitars is mm -hmm. part of the weird thing about this record that i don't don't get here there's a lot more interplay going on and it's definitely more engaging yeah and i think that's um you know typically the structure you see in slam is that you play a riff four times like a slam riff four times and then the vocals are kind of doubling up the guitar twice and then they'll like go off on their own in a more kind of hip-hop inspired mm -hmm. flow on the back too but here he's just cutting across everything and then you combine that with the the very interesting stuff the drummer is doing. A lot of it's pretty quiet, but he's doing these strange little like flam fills, like midline in a lot of these riffs. 
really cool stuff. Um, and then if you listen to this almost like it's... Uh, uh, man, what would you even call it? Like a sort of like more sophisticated styles of electronic stuff where it's all about rhythmic interplay between different timbral voices. Mm-hmm. I think it starts to make a little bit more sense because even as a guy who listens to slam and actually cares about the construction of slam riffs, and there is interesting stuff in that regard on this record, for me, it's about the rhythms, man. It's about the way this record ebbs and flows, the... Uh, the juxtaposition of these different rhythmic figures and all the while this feeling that it's like it's it's hot it's in a, a hot little practice space and the two of them are just bouncing off of each other forever how's it going connor here from oncology and you're listening to terminus all right wrapping up our evening uh, we go even further down the rabbit hole of gore with uh, Lymphatic Phlegm's Roughly Excised Putrefindings, Morbid Descriptions, and Necronoses. Again, released on a longtime label of the band, uh, Black Hole Productions. Very cool kind of gore grind and death metal label from Brazil. Been around forever, just plugging away in the underground. Um Lymphatic Phlegm is a pretty special band for me. Uh, I've been listening to them for about half my life now, which is very weird to say out loud. Um, and uh, Lymphatic Phlegm is a Gorgrind two-piece uh, who play a very unique style of Gorgrind. Um, and... I think that, you know, I, I've got my ideas about it, but I think for the sake of people who aren't necessarily into the style, it would be better for you to describe it, because I assume that this is your first experience with these guys. Yeah, well, before we go any further, I need our listeners to know that uh, the Death Metal Guys' Death Metal Crit is so good that our YouTube we're getting YouTube recommendations on our channel for... Uh, correct way to adjust the chain tension on your chainsaw your chain tension is wrong Um, (laughs) there we go all right yeah that's 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 fair yeah yeah gotta gotta work on your technique before your next spree um so uh so lymphatic phlegm yes this is a name i've heard from you before um Maybe a name that I thought was bigger than they were because you like them, right? But apparently this is kind of a cult band. Uh, and, um, ah, it's really good, uh, first of all. Um, it's, uh, you know, there's been Gorgrind stuff you've showed me that I've liked a reasonable amount. Uh, I really like this. I'm, I might listen to this again. Uh, if it reminds me of anything that we've covered on the show, it really reminds me of The Swarm record we covered a little while ago the uh i, I can sort see of, that uh, yeah yeah the extremely uh i think the key word we always used is unhinged japanese screamo that is uh rooted in um non rooted in sources that are unusual you know it sounds kind of like grindcore kind of like black metal it's really this grinding screamo type stuff that's big in japan but the melodic ideas are really coming from outside metal or hardcore, right? In kind of like mm-hmm. uh, Japanese pop music and cabaret, in sort of like punk, especially like jangly 77 punk type stuff. Uh, 
straight up emo stuff, just like rock and roll. Um, just a, mm-hmm. a vocabulary that's very, uh, very alien to extreme music with tones that are much cleaner than we're used to. Uh, and uh, different kinds of dyna- dynamics in the songs. Similarly, Lymphatic Phlegm definitely play Gorgrind. Uh, and the riffing style here is, well, the guitar tone is maybe uh, watery, would be a good way to describe it. Um, yeah. Sort of uh, emphasizes the high end, but not clanging or piercing or uh, keening. It's more uh, watery, lots of reverb, uh, um, and it sort of, it sounds like, and a lot of the riffing ideas do not sound like they're coming, you can hear that outlines of riffs are inspired by patterns from thrash and maybe from hardcore or grind but a lot of the riffs themselves have a uh the note choice and the guitar tone and even the way the guitar interacts with the bass are coming from a different genre do you want me to get into it now uh yeah well i'll talk about my theories about this band um i i think that you know it's hard to tell because reading interviews with lymphatic phlegm they seem completely unaware that they're different you know they they're 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 very earnest about how oh well you know we just listened to a uh, carcass and like other gore grind bands around here in Brazil and you know classic death metal stuff and uh, yeah I mean if you think it's different and unique and you like it I mean that's cool but we're just doing what we know um, but to describe it what I hear a lot of is very traditional heavy metal. Um, like obviously blurred out into tremolo riffs, but uh, traditional heavy metal and a lot of just kind of neoclassical stuff, or uh, you know, it's it, the the arrangement of notes that Lymphatic Phlegm plays has very little to do with what you would assume—the sort of like very grinding, chromatic, ugly stuff that's typically associated with gore grind. Instead, a lot of this is very pretty. You know, very um, uh, almost medieval in a sense. Uh, a lot of these, like uh, transported, would be black riffs in a different context. Bam, bam. No? As the black metal guy, I've got to say, and the medieval guy, I've got to say, not so much. Um, oh, okay. Halfway through the record, partway through the record, I start to get some riffs that really do sound like you're describing. They sound like, okay, this sounds a little like a classical or Baroque thing. Uh, We'll get to some of them, and I'll try to point out how they're different from the other ones. Uh, And maybe, sure, maybe a little bit... Medievally didn't really jump out to me. Um, But a lot... And some of them... uh, The heavy metal thing makes sense to me, for sure. Mm -hmm. Like, there's like a speed metal-y stuff happening here. I just said thrash, but speed metal is maybe a better reference point. Um... Uh, I think well, it's it's the, very like, melodic throughout. That's that's one of the main points we're yes. making. Yeah, very based in sort of um, but not like in in standard minor scale stuff, but not really sort of noble Dorian scale stuff. It sounds more uh, 
um, snaky and sinister, sometimes has a kind of Latin feel to it. Uh, I know that, you know, Brazil is obviously Portuguese-influenced rather than Spanish, but there's some sort of uh, um, maybe, like, intervals that remind me almost a little of flamenco-type stuff, just generally. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, but it really sounds like goth. Um, and, uh, it's even in the, just the guitar tone, the sort of simple, very sim often they're very simple three or four note kind of spooky sounding melodies that are interacting with rumbling bass. Um, do you want to start with your sample or should I try to point out something really gothy? Let's, uh, let's, let's go with yours, you know, and just kind of continue that thread. All right. So um, this is causa mortis, transarterial chemoembolization. Uh, I wonder if these guys are doctors, like literally doctors. <laughs> um, I, I don't think they like are, doctors. but that would be very cool. Yeah, they're sort of like good-looking, clean-cut dudes. You know, we did well at school, and we stayed true to gore grind. Um, <laughs> and with that, let's let's with that let's grind. So that riff at the end, I can't remember the exact notes, but the 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 six note thing, right? Those intervals are closer to the sort of neoclassical black metal thing you're talking about, right? Yeah, I, I was specifically thinking of almost like a guitar interpretation of like the simple cello loops of you know Vivaldi or something, you know, underneath the the leading violin lines. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I mean, I get that. It's been sort of rhythmically, it's very weirdly inflected rhythmically, right? It doesn't really have classical rhythmic quality to it. It's oh, sort yeah. Of cubist. Of it's like cubed. Darn, 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 darn. Um, uh, but it's, I hear that there, right? That sort of motion, there's a, you know, it's, it's minor key, but we're moving, we're sliding between different chords in a key signature. Uh, you could hear that being used in early second wave black metal too, or something like that. I, yeah. I, I get that. But the riff before then, which they sit on for a long time, which is... Oh, man, I love when that solo that... just dives in. It's so cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's just a goth... That just is, like, a goth riff. Um, it really sounds... Um, 
it sounds a little more rock and rolly uh, than you might normally expect. Um, it sounds le- it sounds like gr- a cluster of goth bands we don't reference as much on this show. So usually we're talking about stuff like Killing Joke or Fields of the Nephilim uh, or maybe Joy Division that are more directly relevant to a lot of what's happening in black metal now and just to metal in general. Um, this is more like sort of death rock bands from like, mm-hmm. uh, especially that term really comes to exist for like Christian death from LA. And the funny thing is like Christian death, uh, there are parts in Bauhaus that sound like this too in this tone. And there are parts of yeah, the birthday party, which you could also call death rock, which death, like the, the birthday party had, they kind of have this cowboy Western kind of thing in it. Christian death kind of does too. And Christian death is from LA. So there's maybe even a little bit of, of like Latin music in there too. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's like rock and roll and like have not extreme metal, but even heavy metal. Christian death has become cool in the last 10 years. Thanks to Blogspot. But they were reviled by the people who really liked post-punk and would like talk about Bauhaus or, or Joy Division. Um, <laughs> okay. Christian Death like, was seen as like, oh. I was just going to say, is that like internal scene politics stuff or what's the rationale for that? Yeah, yeah. Like before, you know, the word goth was a dirty word for a long time. And even with people, you know, people didn't think of Joy Division. They would call Joy Division a post-punk band. They would... Uh, you know, um, maybe people who liked cool post-punk would also say they liked Bauhaus, who were a goth band, but people would avoid using that word um, mm-hmm. or would would sort of say it apologetically, right? The Cure was sort of like post-punk or whatever. Um, if you told people you liked goth, including people who looked at music, liked music a lot, right? They'd look at you confused. I've said that on the show a few times. But um, Christian Death was seen as... Uh, beginning of sort of face paint flamboyant sort of uh showy uh goofy goth um it's now become very cool but it was not back in the day i'm gonna see if i can find a relevant christian death sample for this because the guitar tone and the intervals and the the bass are just way too similar so give me a second okay um all right wait uh just i i i uh cancel that i mean the christian death guitar tone is really similar but in terms of the melodic idea there, there's some stuff on only theater of pain that sounds like this but the melodic idea i just found it on prayers on fire by the birthday party so we are going to listen to yard which is a song in which nick cave on heroin yells horrified lyrics about chickens he's terrified of the chickens You know, this is the, I mean, it would be fair play for you to compare this to 357 Homicide, right? Like, the idea that I as a teen, the idea that I as a teenager attempted to take this seriously is very funny. I mean. It it seems deliberately goofy, in a way. Oh, it is, it is. I mean, I usually skipped this track also, but uh, yes, it is, uh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, um, so getting on to another sample, uh, Grave Wax Mortuary Fat, uh, 
this is a really good song. This is in the upper echelon of lymphatic phlegm songs. Um, so, you know, reading your notes, the, your whole, like, reference point to goth rock really messed with my perspective. You know, and it was really interesting. And I think we'll hear a lot of these goth ideas you're mentioning on this track. And, uh, but then I, I stick with a lot of these kind of like theatrical classical ideas as well. Because um, uh, the guitarist of this band, uh, let me look up his name again. Uh, yeah, Rodrigo Alcantara. Um, he's apparently, uh, based on an interview I've read, he's a Catholic. So I'm wondering if some of this is like weird interpretations of, you know, maybe hymnal music or old chants or something like that. Um, so let's listen to this, uh, this short track and see what we can pull from this one. I guess uh, more specifically, you know, I was kind of mistaken when I said classical. I think what I'm thinking of when I talk about like medieval classical, I'm thinking of more like Gregorian chant in the way some of these melodies are arranged. Um, you know, but also something we have to draw attention to, and I know we will on later samples, is how much the actual guitar tone and production influences the structure of these riffs. Um, so obviously Lymphatic Phlegm, one of their trademarks has been that very midzy guitar tone just soaked to the gills in reverb and delay. Mm -hmm. And you'll hear that, you know, this massively extended reverb and delay kind of like ends up looping in on itself and kind of changes the fundamental way some of these riffs are played. And in kind of the middle riff of that track... 
you'll hear a little stop at the end. And the stop keeps like moving backwards in time as it sequences over the blast beat. Um, you know, like the the reverb and the delay are are looping in on themselves and cutting it earlier and earlier and starting the riff again earlier and earlier, which creates this. Uh, Lymphatic Flame is the the only Gorgrind band I've heard that I would describe as dreamy or oniric. And I, that's such a fascinating quality for a band in this style to me. Yeah, for sure. Um, Gregorian Chant, I would... Uh, that's a tough sell for me. I mean, I take your point that you could hear a Gregorian Chant singing some notes. Da, 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 da. Um, you know, something like that. I, I, I get that. But you, you'd have to show me a more close comparison. Um, it's, uh, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, so yeah, on that sample, I don't know. I really like the breakdown. <laughs> well, we'll make you a Gorgrind guy yet. You know, <laughs> well, also the drumming, also the drumming under that breakdown is really cool, and we haven't talked about. Um, oh yeah, I mean it's a it's the, a drum machine, but their, very, their programming like, is very interesting. Very free double pedal type stuff. Like, are we hearing more of that lately? People using uh, kind of programming, like programming or playing double pedal bass in ways that are a lot more fluid. I think at this point, um, well, it's a combination of a couple things. One, drum programming software has become way more sophisticated and is a lot easier for people to use these days. I mean, I've, I'm a guy that's done a couple records on an old Oasis SR-16 for those in the know, so I've, I've done the hard way. Um, so... One, it's more accessible, and two, I think more people nowadays are exposed to drum machine bands that are using the drum machine as an asset rather than a replacement for a drummer. Because Lymphatic mm -hmm. Phlegm, with the specific way their music's constructed and the way the riffs kind of loop in on themselves with that very exaggerated delay and mm -hmm. reverb, I, I don't think it would really work with a human drummer. There's, there's this interesting interplay between the organic and the inorganic in their music which i think is important to the atmosphere but all in all yeah i do think we're hearing more sophisticated programming and more people who understand the drum machine as an instrument unto itself i'm trying to figure out what we were listening to lately that had a really cool rolling kind of flammy double bass yeah oh it was the antediluvian oh uh, yeah yeah so on one end of the spectrum, we've got um, right Mars Segment just doing her like crazy fucking thunderous double pedal Tom stuff that just sort of like flows kind of uh, arrhythmically uh, under the riffs, right? Or just free rhythmically, rather. Um, and on the other hand, we've got these guys. And, you know, I thought the drumming was very organic, because with these these strangely looping rolls, I did not register that it was a drum machine. Oh, um, okay. uh, yeah, I mean, partly that's because I'm an idiot, um, and uh, <laughs> uh, also because I, uh, you know, like I, I'm, I, you know, you have a better ear for production. But um, the way it was playing is sort of like sounded sort of like 
that kind of flowing, uh, very free double pedal stuff. I mean, it was almost a little Capricornacy, um, yeah, in a sort of like that. tumbling, rumbling vibe. Uh, so it's pretty cool that they're doing that with a drum machine, and that maybe that organic sound to me is coming through because of the way it's interacting with the guitar. I can see that. I, I think that maybe what you're hearing there is the the subtle undercurrent of a kind of Latin influence. You know, uh, because mm -hmm. like even a lot of this, uh, a lot of the guitar work on this record is just straight tremolo, but the places that the notes change tend to have a little bit of swing to them, uh, tend to have a little mm -hmm. bit of uh, an almost off time feel, but it always snaps together on the one, which again does lead back to that kind of flamenco or salsa feeling that you were I, talking yeah. about hearing. I think as far as the thing that's not goth, like, I could be wrong about goth. I think as far as the thing that's not goth, it's really got to be some sense of, uh, you know, uh, Latin guitar melody. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, I am not a Brazilian music expert. Uh, obviously, the best known stuff from it is like, you know, Bossa Nova and Tropicalia. This does not sound like that, right? Mm -hmm. But... It just does sound like, you know, some sort of like Latin jazz sounds like that. A lot of the chord changes on this are like Latin jazz changes. Uh, well, I mean, we, can, and we that, keep talking on the show about how much cool stuff there is in metal in South America and how those regional influences can bleed into extreme metal styles and create really interesting ideas. And mm -hmm. this is just another part of that. Yep. But yeah, no, I appreciate what you're saying about uh, the idea of these... Yeah, no, definitely the the chord changes. Some of the arrangements of these riffs are radically different from what we're used to. Um, not just within mm -hmm. metal, but specifically within gore grind. I mean, uh, even the the guitar playing. I like. I mean, it's difficult to tell with a blown out production, but I don't even know if there are chords used on this record. Everything might just be single note arrangements. Mm hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's really interesting yeah. stuff. But you've got a, a sample yeah. with one of the coolest titles of all time. So I do. Uh, so um, this one is uh, Magnin's Decomposer Squad: The Eight Toilers of the Dead. Starts out That's with a so pretty classic cool. sample. <laughs> yes, um, indeed. So before you may think that this is a yeah, the Eight Toilers of the Dead sounds like it's fucking Nile lyrics, right? That sounds yeah. like it comes from a cartouche. Um, uh, but no, like everything else, it seems to come from an anatomy textbook, so or a true crime thing or something. So uh, starts with a classic sample. Usually we skip. I skip the samples, but couldn't do it this time because it actually sets up the song. The researchers focus on details that would revolt most people, such as blackened skin an important clue in establishing time of death. The darker the flesh, the longer the body's been dead. The first flies will arrive within half an hour of death and invade the body. Inside the body, the flies lay eggs, and 24 hours later, the eggs produce these slithering, flesh-eating insects, maggots.
So the trem riff, the ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-ba-da-da, that definitely has a classical chord change thing to it that is kind of like Vivaldi for sure, or like, I guess, Baroque music. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting because it's like, it's this very simple kind of scale phrase or like a, a fragment of a scale. Mm-hmm. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, again, it, it leads into the way the guitar tone and the production alters the sense of these riffs because you... You hear it like hitching, catching up with itself at the end of each of those mm-hmm. phrases. It's it's really fascinating. You know, it's uh, this is one of those rare bands where you cannot divorce the songwriting from its production. They are they're one and the same. You know, it would not be lymphatic phlegm without that very strange production style. It's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think your next sample is the best example of that, but I do just want to say, uh, the, um, uh, do just want to say that the, uh, like, the breakdown there. Oh, it's so cool. (laughs) So, I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm getting more what's going on, is that there's a melodic sensibility that these guys take for granted from... Latin America and maybe also just from like punk rock stuff uh, mm. and that's in goth rock too and it's coming from the same places that is the sense of spooky that gets in Christian death or in the birthday party is in large, large part coming from minor scale ideas in rock and roll Yeah, that are being exaggerated and drawn out and those have to do with Latin music and surf music and this also sounds like surf guitar yeah, it's, it's definitely got that surf guitar. I mean, it's basically a sort of, like, thrash metal structure, but the the right-hand playing is so languid. You know, it doesn't have the, yeah. the I, percussive quality of a thrash riff. No. I mean, the rhythmic thing there, that breakdown could be a birthday party riff. Like, they'd play it on the bass. They'd lead with it on the bass, but... Like, it pretty much could be uh and yeah the way they turn that into a thrash riff is super cool um so yeah that part's awesome uh but um your last sample is just a great example of how like the riff is written for the tone they these tones you could write the riff without it but it would the whole the melodic contour of the riff is made with the tone, stri- like like stretched in between the notes. Like you couldn't write the riff the way it is. This combination of tones in time wouldn't make sense without the tone. Uh, and yeah. so, like I think this is just like a very beautiful part of the record. Yeah. So, uh, kind of wrapping this up, uh, the final sample comes off of a song called "Unveiled: The Mortified Visceral Puzzle Pieces." And uh, so, great title, obviously. Um, And something you pointed out in the notes uh, is that, I mean, you said there's very few, but in reality, I think there's zero grind riffs as we understand them. There's there's nothing like Napalm Death. There's really nothing like Carcass, apart from, like, certain flourish ideas from some of their solos early on on the first couple records. Um, it's a gore grind record a, that has, a, oh, go ahead. There's, there's a couple things that sound like hardcore riffs, but so only in the sense that like, 
grindcore sounds somewhat like hardcore, right? But uh, yeah, yeah. Even those, I mean, even those, it's not like it's a dead ringer for hardcore stuff. Yeah, in a sense, this is a a a record that is unmistakably gore grind, but has no conventional gore grind riffs. There is nothing like last mm-hmm. days of humanity or regurgitation or anything like that it's completely unique unto itself and this track unveiled is uh i mean like you said it's a perfect example this is a set of riffs that rely on the tone within which they are played and just listen to the way the 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 reverb and the delay echoes these sort of ghost harmonies into following repetitions of the riff and it's just it's a it's a really exquisite track i think So yeah, as you said, those riffs, I mean, you might get some of the effect, but you won't get the full effect without the the way the reverb and the delay smear the riff across itself. Um, these, these harmonies emerging from the echo lasting too long and intersecting the riff into itself. And again, what's fascinating is reading interviews with these guys over the years... They seem to have no conception as to their production being different or being unusual. You know, it's just, it's perfectly natural to them. They see themselves as a logical continuum, maybe even unexceptional in, in Gorgrind. But you can just listen to that and be like, oh my god, there's something completely unique, an entirely 
different the conceit. Only you know, only band we've yeah. I mean, that's a place where the harmonic complexity in those riffs both sounds like kind of newer black metal stuff. Uh, yes. Like the yes. Uh, like the last the last riff um, that you know yeah there was the fascinating reverb riff and then the last riff that's riffier uh, just steps up between has different chord shapes in it but steps up from minor to major chords in places they're really not you don't expect to hear them right yeah uh, it's a riff made out of a unexpected sequence of minor and simple minor and major intervals to make something complex weird and beautiful right uh, yeah and that's very black metal the only band i've heard that writes reverb stuff like that riff that's built for the reverb is um uh devil Groth. yeah yeah like uh there's <laughs> they're accessing really sophisticated black metal ideas from totally outside that style but arriving at similar locations and mm -hmm. i also i'd like to mention one of the things that's so cool about lymphatic phlegm is that some of these riffs, um, they're so kind of short and so based off of simple scales, they have this wonderful uh, naivete in the good sense that we talk about on this show. You know, these these wonderful, mm -hmm. like, simple ideas that have this almost, like, childlike glee to them. You know, just, like, simple, like, a, a child's Baroque melody delivered in this really gross, mm -hmm. weird context. And that's great. But we're not going to play a sample of it. The final track on this record, uh, Shedding of Necrotizing Cells, Pustule Eradication in Fits of Insanity, Part 2. The back half of that song is dominated by this incredible, flourishing neoclassical solo. Really the only mm. one on the record which is so sophisticated and so technically developed, it's almost like the punchline at the end of the record. That through all of this simplicity, through all of this like naive elegance, there was a guy with incredible instrumental talent and creativity behind it. And that is a wonderful joke that we can all be in on. <laughs> 